All right, this morning, I hope you're ready for some worldview material. We are going to show you from the Bible that there is such a thing as a sin nature and that um, people who are screaming mad out there because uh, we're not living in paradise are uh, totally deceived and that there's one seriously big race problem that's called the human race that's descended from Adam. And we're going to prove that there's only one way out of that, and that's through the last Adam. All right, so we're going to narrow it down to categories that we can understand. Because the world is lying to us. You didn't know that? Yeah, you did know that. All right. Uh, yeah, don't let the world lie to you. So that's we're gonna uh, some of the we're gonna start in the Acts and we'll work our way through some other material as well. Let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for the ability of us to gather together in your name to know you and love you and serve you by your grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, we ask you to give us wisdom and understanding that our minds would be renewed and that we would think uh, biblically and have a, a worldview that's informed and defined by the Bible. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Acts 16, uh, where the gospel is spreading. And I think we talked about this a little bit before, but it was a while ago, so let's go back over this slide. Um, and remember, they had the council in Acts 15 in Jerusalem, and the decision was made that the Gentile believers did not have to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. The, some Christians whose background was from the sect of the Pharisees had demanded that they would, that any Gentiles who came to Christ, the males would be circumcised, they would have to obey the food laws, and they'd have to keep the law of Moses. And that was rejected. And instead, they came up with something that would distinguish them from temple paganism, idolatry, fornication, and then eating blood and so on were things strangled were what was agreed on. Now, Timothy was introduced here in Acts 16, and so we want to look at something that Paul did that's interesting in light of the decision of the Jerusalem Council. In Acts 16 and verse 3, it says, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of, of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So as we mentioned before, his father was Greek, but his mother was Jewish. And depending on the time in history, um, they would, whether they considered him Jewish or not, depending on whether it was his mother or his father who was Jewish. And so I'm going to cite Dr. Schnabel, I can't remember if I did this before, but I'm going to do it again now, if I did. <clears throat> he said that in addition to Paul's intention to invite Timothy to serve on his mission team, 
The second reason that Luke provides for Paul's action is the fact that the Jews who lived in these cities knew that Timothy's father was a Greek and that he was not circumcised. They also knew that he had Jewish mother. Otherwise, his not being circumcised would not have been surprising. So then he goes on later and says this. Number one, Luke portrays Paul as a flexible missionary who was prepared to become a Jew to the Jews, 1 Corinthians 9.20, and circumcised Timothy for the benefit of his continuing missionary work among Jewish communities without according salvific value to Timothy's circumcision, parenthetically, which was not insisted on by Jewish Christians, but Paul's voluntary initiative. And then two, while Paul consistently objected to Gentile believers being circumcised in order to have full salvation, he never argued the Jews should no longer circumcise their children. Now, that's important, and that's the end of the quote from Dr. Uh, Schnabel. Uh, that's very important because that will become a huge issue when Judaizers lied about Paul. When we get to Acts chapter 21, there's a huge tumult that happens in Jerusalem because some Judaizers who were followers of Christ lied about Paul and said that Paul was telling uh, Jewish believers not to circumcise their children. And Paul never actually taught that. So it was a lie. So it was pretty clear here that that is a lie based on what happens right here. But Acts 21 is sort of a turning point in Acts. After Paul's second missionary journey, he ends up back in Jerusalem, and that's when the riot happens, and this leads to a series of speeches before dignitaries, and then a ship uh, ride and a shipwreck, and ultimately a journey to Rome, where he was in prison. So that's kind of the outline of Acts. Now, to show that this wasn't uh, a rule or a law, we, I cite on my slide here Galatians 3, 3, 3, 2, 3, excuse me, Galatians 2, 3. Not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So that shows that this was a unique circumstance with Timothy. And then Galatians 6.15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now what I'm going to do is do a little excursus here on this idea of the new creation, Galatians 6.15, and I want to talk about the sin nature, the Adamic race, the first Adam, the last Adam, what sort of races matter spiritually, and deal with all this nonsense that's going on in the culture. There is a ton of foolishness and nonsense. Amen. And so Christians need to at least understand what the Bible says about these things. All right. So, 
I may have some slides, I know I do, that aren't on your printout, because I didn't make them until we got back from Iowa. By the way, we were gone for a few days to celebrate our 48th anniversary. So that's been a while, huh? Now notice the categories here, 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Now that's 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Some people asked me about that last week after the service, and uh, I wanted to put that up there on a slide. Now, I have been going back to Genesis, and we've talked about the table of nations. This doesn't mean there aren't national boundaries that God intended and ordained. He did. We saw that in Genesis 10 and 11. And God has ordained national boundaries and civil rulers over nations. And that he did after the flood, and he banned members of the divine council from trying to directly rule. Remember, there are fallen beings there, and in Genesis 6, they sinned, and the worst ones were banished to the abyss. So now we have civil rulers. However bad they are, they're better than the demons. Now, I know you may dispute that, <laughs> but that is a biblical idea. And so, fallen humans, but they are ordained that they be civil rulers, some of them. But in the big scheme of things, in Paul's day, and certainly in ours, he's mentioning three categories. Jews, Greeks, the Church of God. Greeks there is a figure of speech, a metonymy, meaning Gentiles. The culture and the language that was uh, prominent Paul's day was came from the Greeks and uh, the Greek language was used, so he used that to designate Gentiles. And um, if you want to turn with me to Acts 6.1, we'll show that there were issues that arose that had to do with that, those um, categories. We saw this earlier when I, as I've been teaching through Acts, but Acts 6 and verse 1. Acts 6 and verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in daily serving of food. Now back at that time, before Gentiles were part of the church, there was already dispute that was grounded in culture. The Hellenistic Jews would be Greek-speaking and adopted the Greek culture, where the Hebrew uh, natives would be thoroughly Jewish in their culture. And they were already having dispute, like, well, we're not being treated fairly. So we're not so naive as to think that people aren't going to have issues based on 
cultural differences. Even amongst the Jews that happened. And so when Paul says, give no offense to Jews, no Greeks, no church of God, he's affirming that there are different cultures, different, actually different races, but that what's important is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we do not want to give needless offense to anyone. And that what's more important than anything else that might happen is the uh, promotion and promulgation of the gospel throughout the world. I think that's pretty clear in the Bible. Now, the reason this is so central and important is that we know from the rest of Scripture that God is glorified by saving individuals out of every race, tribe, and tongue on the face of the earth that would be representative in heaven, praising God and giving him glory. I'm going to read verses to you because it's too hard for you to get to the mic, but uh, turn with me, therefore, to Revelation 5, 9, and 10. So there's a reason we want to give no offense to Jews or Greeks or Church of God, because we want them to hear the gospel. And it's through the gospel that some will be saved and therefore represent be part of the people of God and represent some from every tribe and tongue. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. This is a vision that John had of heaven. And they were singing a new song saying, quote, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and bought, now it's talking about Christ, for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation and made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. So there will be representatives in heaven from every what does it say? Tribe, language, people, and nation. Okay? That happens in the future. Now we live on the earth, and there are different people, different languages, different national boundaries, and civil rulers. But that's the way God is ruling his universe now. The church's job is to get the gospel into all of those places so that what happens in Revelation 5, 9, and 10 is that that group from every tribe and tongue is being populated as different ones hear the gospel and believe. Does that make sense? So the entire church age from Pentecost to the rapture is about that happening. And that's why Paul is taking this action 
to have Timothy circumcised to make sure there's no offense. Let's go forward. And he goes into the second missionary journey, and Timothy's part of it, and there's going to be the gospel going places where it hasn't been before. The Holy Spirit's at work in this. We're going to look at, I don't know how far we'll get today, but we're going to look at the Macedonian vision and the restriction not to go certain places. God's guiding the process by His Spirit according to His providence. And I know I get a lot of I get a lot of emails from CAC readers because they come from a lot of different church backgrounds. And some are from the more charismatic Pentecostal background where they've been taught the Spirit gives visions and dreams and tells you go here and do that. And others are more from a cessationist that the gifts were signs of the apostles. And they're saying, no, that doesn't happen. And I've taken it the ground of all of it's part of providence. And providence contains good and evil. And that prophecy is still for today, but it's speaking forth valid implication applications of Scripture, and the prophecy has to be judged. The Holy Spirit is still bringing us to the right place at the right time. And even dreams are part of providence. Whether we decide to make anything of them is up to us using God's wisdom. Most of the time, the best thing to do is to ignore them. Because if dreams are true, we all think we're crazy. Okay, But every once in a while, somebody has something that just gets their attention. And, I mean, that happened to me at the occasion of being called into the ministry. Uh, I had a dream right after I was saved where I was sitting in the little Methodist church. I think I've shared this before that I grew up in. Uh, we were just down there in Iowa and we drove back to the areas, saw my dad's tombstone and her dad and mom and looked around down there, but it reminded me of that little church I grew up in. And in my dream, I was sitting at the back of the church where I always sat with my brother when I was a teenager, and church was going on. It was just ordinary church. Well, that was not a gospel church. And then I realized these people don't know anything about Christ, even though they're in church. And in my dream, I got up, I went and I looked out, and I saw the same scene you'd always see out there. There was a little birch tree out there. And I thought, well, it's all the same. Nothing's different. And so I thought, oh, I better tell them. So I went in, I got up in front of the church and preached Christ. That was just a dream. But when I woke up, it was so vivid. I just thought, wow. And it wasn't a guidance that I was supposed to become the pastor of a little church in Iowa. It's just struck me. It was memorable. Later, by the way, that happened. I was, my folks arranged so I could speak at that church, and I did. I preached Christ in that church. It literally happened. Um, that's not, doesn't make me an apostle. It doesn't mean that, it's just, though that was part of providence. And later I, I did go into the ministry so that's just the way it is. They're not, it's not binding revelation. Um, and so we'll see that as we get forward in this. 
So we don't want to give offense because God's at, at work making sure that what we read about in Revelation 5, 9, and 10 is happening, going to happen. Persons are being added that will represent every tribe and tongue in heaven, and they'll all be worshiping the Lamb. There won't be any disputes about whose widow got better food. <laughs> all right? Those are for this age that that thing happens. Now, in 1 Corinthians 5.17, now remember the previous uh, verse, Galatians 6.15, but a new creation. Well, here's 2 Corinthians 5.17. All there, all is not supposed to be there. That was from a, some old slide. I should take it out. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's from the Lexham English Bible. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Interestingly, this morning I was watching Fox News, and they had Alveda King. Uh, I don't know if you've seen her on there, but she's just a lovely Christian lady. And um, just hard to be offended by her no matter what. But he, she mentioned a Bible verse, so I stuck it in my nose. She said, on, she said on the news, on national news, she cited Acts 17.26. Acts 17.26. Let me read it to you. And he made from one man, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times in the boundaries of their habitation. Acts 17.26. Alveda King cited that this morning on the news. So God made the, all this diversity of people on the earth. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. Acts 17.26. For anybody that hears this on the internet some years later, we're living in a time right now of uh, huge violence and unrest um, over racial matters. And what she, she was talking about is that we're all from one blood. We're all descended from one man, Adam. That's what it says. Acts 17.26. So then, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. So then if we get real basic, real basic, there's only two races. Those descended from Adam alone and those who've descended from Christ, the last Adam. That's the most basic. Now, I had that other verse Revelation 5, 9, 10 first, so that you realize I'm not saying the other doesn't mean anything because God wants to be praised by people from every group. But the big picture is whether you're in Adam or in Christ. And if, you, and if you're only in Adam, you're a lost sinner. 
So there is a huge racial problem. It's called Adamic race. And there's only one way out of it, and that's Christ. Does that make sense? I don't think it's overly simplistic because it's basic Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You see that? It's very basic, but we need to know that. By a man came death, and by a man came the resurrection of the dead. So we have the Adam-Christ analogy and contrast. And so the issue is in Adam or in Christ. Now let me make this real simple to understand. It's very important theology. What do you have to do to be in Adam? Nothing. Nothing. Being in Adam is by natural generation. All you do is be born. What has to happen for you to be in Christ? You have to be born again. You must be born again. Supernatural regeneration. Being in Adam is by natural generation. Being in Christ is by supernatural regeneration. Now, I know this is really basic, but I don't think it'll bore you because you can go to church a lot of places for a long time and never hear this once. And it's no wonder you've got... A, I took a picture of a church I drove by. They had a sign in the front yard, We are the world. Okay, so do you suppose if you go to that church, you're ever going to find out what we're talking about right here? No. They don't want to make any distinction. We are the world. Yeah, <laughs> this church is not a church. So there it is. I took a picture of that and put it up on a slide one time. So let's get some basic theology here. So if I feel like I'm not being treated right by the world because of whatever reason, welcome to the world. Um, if you want to get out of that bad situation, I would flee to Christ. Because you know that in Christ... You're a king and priest to God. You have a new status as a child of God, and you will be part of that worshiping kingdom of priests that in heaven. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. 
And that's what's, what's so beautiful about that Alveda King on the news this morning. God bless her. You're just pointing out something as basic as that. Come to Christ and be a new creature. It doesn't mean there aren't disputes, because there were. As I said, in Acts 21, the whole thing blew up. People were afraid. They, they believed a lie that Paul was telling Jewish believers they couldn't circumcise their children, and Paul never taught that. So it's always going to be battles here on the earth. It'll be lies and errors, and people are going to have their feelings hurt. They're going to be distressed and upset. And that's just kind of what happens. But we've got to preach the truth and get grounded in the truth so the church is part of the answer and not part of the problem. Where you can come and you're safe because you're going to hear the Word of God and the pure Word of God. As I've thought about saying, and I've actually said it a couple times lately, the Word of God, the whole Word of God, and nothing but the Word of God. So help me God. That's what people need. They don't need the wisdom of the world. They need the whole Word of God. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man, here's a problem, man. There's a problem. Adam. Through one man, sin entered into the world. And death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, I realize it's a basic statement, but boy, the theology and the debates over it are amazing and endless. And let me tell you what the debate is about. When it says because all sinned, that's where the debate happens. And let me tell you the, the sides of the debate. Bait. Some say all sin because of the influence of Adam and they eventually sin. Others say all sinned in Adam and that would be the idea of federal headship. And therefore the debate is how does this Adam-Christ analogy work? Some say, well, Adam created uh, a situation in which people would eventually sin. Uh, and so Christ's righteousness would be imputed to believers, but Adam's sin is not. Others say the analogy is complete. In Adam, all sinned. When Adam sinned, his descendants did too. In Christ, all are righteous. Those who believe in him have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, just so you know the categories, the ones who say that would be those who would believe the souls of the Reformation would say that it's a complete analogy. Sinned in Adam, imputed, imputed righteousness in Christ. The more Arminian, if you use that term, it's not Arminia, a place, but Arminius, a guy, would say, well, it's the moral influence 
that caused it. They would affirm that everybody sins, but then it eventually happens. It doesn't, it's not, uh, it's not, it's sin nature. There's no sin nature. Now, they don't all say that. So I grew up, I was trained in North Central Bible College, which certainly wasn't Reformed. And then I went to a general, Baptist General Conference seminary later that was mealy-mouth Reformed, as one of the professors said. Um, but even there at North Central, they said they wouldn't deny the sin nature. They would discuss this and believe that this sin is part and parcel of, of humanity. And um, there's a lot of things. And I, again, we, if you want to ask a question or something, I'll repeat it, and we can have a discussion of this. So you may want to discuss this part of it, or you can pay, if you're close, you want to grab the mic and just turn it on, and Eric can ask your question or make your statement. Is that on? No. Is that on now? No, it is. You're on. It's on. It's on now. Yeah. Well, I, it was not really a question, but it's almost like it's an, this is almost an example. There's a lot of really complex things that people can debate, but what it amounts to is you can just observe everyone's sins. <laughs> I mean, whether it's that you're born that way, or 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 when you uh, when you you know taking these two different points of view. The bottom line is that everyone sins. All you have to do is observe the world. It's just, it's kind of that simple. It's almost like we could punt, maybe. But now, it, it, these kinds of arguments do have ramifications well, there, yeah, down the road, too. There's so. reasons even within the text itself. Uh, um, in Adam, all sinned. Is that aorist? Does that mean when Adam sinned, we all sinned? There's a lot of debate about it. And he, and he gets into other technicalities. Some people teach an age of accountability so that your sin doesn't matter until you're a certain age. Now, people ask me about that. I said, well, why should I teach something that's not in the Bible? Well, you, what age is that? I don't know. I'm trying to think of when I sinned. No, I can't. I'm trying to think when I didn't sin. Can't remember that. <laughs> okay, yes. You and Eric have said many times we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Good, good, I'll repeat that. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You have to teach this because it's in the Bible. In Adam all die. Ephesians 2.1 You were dead. It doesn't say you were weak. It says you were dead. Well, you know what Eric always says, what do dead people do? They stink up the place. <laughs> Rotting body. Um, both things are true, by the way. You're dead in Adam, and you do go ahead and sin. 
but the thing that's more really important, even if you, I know some of our listeners may believe, well, I, I think there's an age of accountability, and I think eventually people sin. Even if you think that, you can't deny that the only way out is Christ. And you can't deny that if anyone is in new Christ, he's a new creation. And you can't deny that in Adam all die, because it says it. In Christ all are made alive. And you can't deny that people are in Adam by nature. How else do you get in Adam? You descended from him. Uh, and the only way to be in Christ is by being born again and regenerated. So I'm just going to teach that. Now, I remember one of my professors said, well, both things are true. We're dead in Adam, and we're dead because we actually do go to sin. Well, we're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. But when we come to Christ, we are new. Dr. Douglas Moo says this. I'm quoting it here. In fact, there's Ephesians 2.1 that I quoted. Moo says, Paul can therefore say both, all die because all sin, that comes up later, Romans 5, and all die because Adam sinned, with no hint of conflict, because of the sin of Adam is the sin of all. Moose says, all people therefore stand condemned in Adam, guilty by reason of the sin committed in him. Why do people so consistently turn from good to evil of all kinds? Paul affirms in this message, Romans 5, 12, that human solidarity in the sin of Adam is the explanation. And whether we explain this solidarity in terms of sinning in and with Adam or because of a corrupt nature inherited from him does not matter at this point, says Moo. On any view of this, the biblical explanation for universal human sinfulness appears to explain the data of history and experience as well as better than any rival theory. One person said, I can't remember who said this, maybe it was Bernard Ram, who's I would generally not agree with, but he had an interesting book on the sin nature. The, 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 sin, the sin nature is the only biblical doctrine for which there is universal um, empirical data. You look all around and you got to believe there's a sin nature. Yes? Can this be explained to people by going back to the, uh, in Genesis, to the curse, or would that be? Yeah, the Genesis curse certainly is a result of the sin of Adam. So in, in as long as the ground, we have drought, we have thistles, we have the sweat of the brow. But for man? Yes. Yes. Pain in childbirth. All the things mentioned in Genesis 3 are still true. Yes, so if we're trying to explain the, uh, the uh, one, one in, the sin in Adam and the righteousness in Christ, we could take people back and, and read the Absolutely. We could go back to... Yeah, the question or the question was about Genesis 3 and what it says there, and exactly, it's all right there. It's all right there. 
it's still the world we live in. Now let me make a little commentary on what's going on in our society. We've consistently pointed to the table of nations, God drawing out boundaries, you saw it, Acts 17, God ordaining civil authorities. What's been going wrong recently is that we have civil authorities who do not believe it, that there's a sin nature. They don't believe that evil is endemic to the human race. And so therefore they do, do not believe in restraining evil. And therefore, when lawlessness abounds, they don't expect anything to happen that was going to be bad. We were just talking about that this morning. One famous um, mayor, when in her city, they drew out a little territory where they're going to have lawlessness. Autonomous lawlessness. And she said, we're going to have a summer of love. Now what's obvious, dear ones, is that she doesn't believe there's a sin nature. That if you just let people do whatever comes to mind, goodness and love will just come right out of their hearts. But what happened? They came to our door. <laughs> they came to our door. Actually, the opposite. What we know, we knew what was going to happen. Why didn't she know what was going to happen? Because she doesn't believe what we're reading right here in the Bible. Judeo-Christian understanding is that sin is endemic and needs to be restrained by moral law. And there needs to be consequences. Otherwise, chaos will ensue. And it's not time for that yet. We're still in the church age. During the tribulation, Antichrist will be the lawless one. And it will become hell on earth. Furthermore, let me state this. Those people who want to embrace socialism and Marxism and this moral and spiritual evolution lie that I exposed in my book on Virgin Church is this. They think everything's going to evolve into something better because this goodness is just going to come out. They don't believe what the Bible says. And whenever this has been done before, you don't get heaven on earth, you get hell on earth. And I, I with all sober-minded as knowing hell is actually worse, but you approximate it. Hellishness on earth, let's say it that way. When law is removed and the sin nature goes unrestrained and people believe good is evil and evil is good and that man is basically good and there's no sin nature and all this goodness and love is going to come oozing out. Some people even raise their kids that way. Boy, that's a long, painful process for them. When we first bought the house we're in now, which was 33 years ago, there was a single mom uh, right across from our backyard was raising a daughter and evidently believed in the let the kids, let the goodness come out of the kid. 
that kid was just a tyrant. A little bitty kid. And my wife and I were sitting out back grilling, and that kid started saying to the mom, you, and she's just screaming at her mom, you do this and you don't do that. And I'm telling you, and she was just screaming at her mom what her mom had to do. It's a little kid. And the mom goes, okay, I'm sorry. Yes, okay, I'll do it. And we were going, what? How can you do that? Where did this come from? Dear ones, Christians need to be sober-minded and understand what the Bible says about human nature and about sin and about the moral law of God and about the need for restraint and about respecting civil authorities. And the civil authorities' duty, according to Romans, is to restrain evil. The summer of love doesn't happen. It's the summer of chaos and murder and sorrow and hellishness. And, it, and why, is it, why is all this stuff happening? Well, the churches long ago quit preaching the truth, quit teaching theology to the Christians, started teaching the social gospel, watered everything down. And so even people that go to church have no clue about what kind of world they live in. So I'm here trying to make sure that doesn't happen to us. Amen. Dead sinners don't all of a sudden ooze love. Now, we're not saying that humans are not created in the image of God. They are, but they're fallen. And we can't say that every human is just as bad as he or she could possibly be. It's not true. Humans can do benevolent deeds, and they can be good citizens. That's part of the residual leftover of the image of God that's still true. But the wickedness needs to be restrained. And that's the duty of the civil government. So, one through one man sin entered, but in Christ, those who are in Christ will be made alive. Now, let's go to the next slide from Acts. So I wanted to make a statement. I didn't think it was right to let all this go without a clear statement made. All right. What are we seeing? Sin. What needs to be restrained? Sin. What's the duty of civil government? To restrain evil. Letting everybody blow off steam means the buildings are burned down, cop cars lit on fire, the Marxist worldview is wicked and unbiblical, and now they're saying, we want more evil, so we're going to defund the police. He's unbelievable. Unbelievable. When I was down in Iowa with Diane this last week, as we celebrated our 48th anniversary, we went, took one day, we were down there two nights, but we took one day and drove uh, from the Spirit Lake over to First Primgar, Iowa, the county seat, 
My dad was a supervisor there, and so was my grandfather. Grandpa Richard was a super, supervisor, county supervisor in the 50s, and my dad was in the 80s and 90s. And we went, and it's one of these small towns that the county seat courthouse was right in the middle of the town square, and everything was a square around that. They built a new sheriff's area there. Um, the sheriff, when I was a kid, Howard Tiemans was friends with my folks, and Howard uh, and his wife were in the same retirement home with Diane's folks, who passed away last year. And the, the reality was so different. I was just brought back a lot of memories of what life was like when I was a kid. You would never find anybody anywhere who would say it was okay to loot and riot. Or it's okay to commit vandalism. Or so, because people did it back then. Kids did bad stuff. But they got caught and they got punished. And when I was a kid in rural Iowa, the adults were the World War II generation. And they were monolithic from my perspective. There may have been a few oddballs out there, but all the adults... When I was a teenager, all of the adults had one attitude. We know you kids are up to no good, and you're not going to get by with it. <laughs> and you could, if you wouldn't try to get by with it somewhere, it always got back to your folks. And he had consequences. And that kept us restrained so that we grew up and didn't die. Some did because they drove their car 120 miles an hour and flew off the road or something, but it wasn't because adults weren't trying to keep it under control. So we drove through there, saw the county, county square, courthouse, sheriff, they built a new place, found the grave where my dad was. I took some pictures, and here the citizens had gone out and put American flags at the grave site of every veteran in the whole cemetery. And there was my dad with a flag. I took a picture of it. And on the back of his tombstone told, said that he was a World War II veteran in the Navy, how long he served. Okay. Is that what we want in community? Where the adults restrain the evil that kids have in their hearts, which we did? And that we honor people and honor civil authorities and have a reasonable, honorable, decent life. It isn't about at all about what race anybody is because the problem is the Adamic race. It's about restraining civil authorities knowing what their duty is and people seeing their need for Christ. Then we went from there to Sheldon, where we went to high school, found the gravesite of her mom and dad, also honored, and um, had a lot of memories. Had a lot of memories. We were married in July 1st, 1972. 
So, now, boy, I'll tell you, after all that's happened, I had a lot of emotions when I was there in the town that we grew up in. And, yeah, maybe the idyllic rural Iowa isn't going to happen in the cities. But they didn't, they didn't used to burn buildings down, even in Minneapolis. It's insane. Yes. Yeah. Hi. This might be um, um, kind of a can of worms that we don't want to get into, but um, you know, we, we're talking about the lawlessness, the of, that our civil government is not restraining evil. So, um, as Christians, as we see this, we're also seeing uh, these what appear to be kind of arbitrary rules regarding the virus as far as people's businesses, not allowing people to to open their businesses fully, and, um, you know, the nursing home situation where the people, most of the deaths are in the nursing home. So we're seeing all these things. So when can, is there a time when, as even as Christians, that we just go ahead and, like, ignore the arbitrary rules and open up our businesses fully against what, you know, contrary to what the um, civil government is telling us to do? I mean, is there a time when we disobey because the the civil government is not performing the duties that they're normally supposed to okay. do? Well, that issue does come up in the book of Acts. And what they, their issue in Acts was the gospel. When they were forbidden to preach in the name of Christ, they would say, we will obey God rather than man. Just this is my personal opinion. How one deals with medical things is not a black and white moral law. I really don't believe it is. There are people who have such strong opinions about food that they treat you like a sinner if you don't eat what they do. And that, that was a religious issue in Acts. But it won't work on me because I won't listen to them. I'm free to eat what I'm free to eat, and that's between me and God. How people are concerned or not concerned about a virus is also a matter of their under, trying to make it through this life and be alive for the gospel. Whether a business owner opens up a business when the government is closing it for the reason of a epidemic, I don't want to advise anybody. I don't want to tell people. It's not even, even across the businesses. Because some people have to be licensed to do business at all. Restaurants, uh, bars and small businesses, if they lose their license, they can't do business at all. And are we going to tell them, well, you should go ahead and lose your license, prove your point? We can't tell somebody that. That's not fair to them. They're, they're going to have to pay the price if they make such a decision. Now, when it comes to church, we're coming here, we're preaching the gospel, and uh, trying to be as safe as we can. Does that make sense? I'm talking about stuff like not burning on the, down the cop car. I mean, 
we're failing at such a basic level that whether you wear a mask when you go to church, would to God that's all we had to worry about. I'm concerned when they come by and spray paint my house and burn it down. Yes, speak up. Yeah, go ahead and talk. I'll, I'll repeat it. Yeah, so um, I was thinking one of the things uh, God commanded us to do is love our neighbor as ourselves. And I was thinking, you know, it's such a blessing when, you know, some one church, you know, like even in another. And, um, and I was thinking, like, you know, sometimes God does call us to stand up for civil injustice or, you know, just wrong that's done to the innocent and be, and be an advocate for them. But when we're doing that, and especially when we're standing against the government, we need to make sure that we're seeking God in prayer and making sure that we're not just doing it out of anger, but out of, you know, love for... Yeah. One one thing that helps me, a verse, thank you, he said to make sure we don't do it out of anger, we do it prayer, prayerfully. We stand up for the unborn. And we're anti-abortion because we believe that is a moral law of God. Thou shalt not murder. And we'll say so. But here's another thing I think is important. James said, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Remember that verse? The, that helps me, because I do get very, very angry. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's in James. Um, boy, has that helped me. I've had to, I should put that verse in my refrigerator. <laughs> uh, because it's, it's just aggravating to see what's going on. So, yes, uh, go ahead and bring. I think what Barb was getting at was where do you draw the line between the two verses, one of which says to obey the authorities, and one of which, you know, one that says don't. And I think you said, you know, when it gets in the way of the gospel. For sure. Pretty much an answer to that. The, the gospel is the but issue. The bottom line is God will tell you. There is such a thing as Christian liberty and. Uh, not every in ethics we go by the greater good. What's the greater good? Well, that could be subjective. It is, and when you get down to some of these things, it is. That's why they had the Jerusalem Council. So, when in doubt, just seek God, and you'll know the answer. Well, you also, the, Paul talks about this in First Corinthians. Should I stay alive long enough? And I'm perfectly healthy right now. I intend to preach your first Corinthians when I'm done with Ephesians. But issues like that are addressed in First Corinthians that they had that just couldn't be figured out. And sometimes they end up saying, let every man be convinced in his own conscience. But one thing you don't want to do is have the pastor turn into a lawgiver. Because then you end up with a cult. Everybody does exactly what we say on every single item. That's a cult. We don't want a cult. We don't want to get rid of Christian liberty. Well, let me introduce what verse we'll start with next week. Acts 16, 5 through 4 through 5. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees that had been decided upon 
by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing daily in number. So let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we can discuss these things. Thank you that we can be new creatures in Christ. Thank you for what you've done for us. And we thank you for the fellowship you give us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us and coming to church. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to teach. I, I don't take it for granted.